right into it. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 8, verse 5. says who serve unto the example and shadow of heavenly things as Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle for see saith he that thou make all things everyone say all things according to the pattern showed thee in the mount hallelujah I just want to speak to you tonight on the thought stick to the pattern stick to the pattern Lord we love you and thank you for your presence that's in this house. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for your mercy, God, your long-suffering. God, I'm asking you, Lord, that you'd anoint me and use me, God, that your word have its way in this house here tonight. Bind us together. Help us, God, I pray. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord, that your will, that your will be done in this house here tonight, God. We give you the praise tonight in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. You may be seated. <coughs> For see, saith he, that thou make all things according to the pattern showed thee in the mount. When Moses went on the mount, when the children of Israel were leaving Egypt, he gave Moses two things. He gave him the law, and he gave him the pattern of the tabernacle. And the law, as I was studying on this a little bit more, it was... The law was allowing man to know his sinfulness. The things written in the law would reveal to man the things that God didn't like. The things that offended him. The things that, that he didn't want to be a part of their life. Through the law, he would reveal that to man. But it was never designed, never designed to save man. But he also gave him the tabernacle. Which was a type and shadow of our present day salvation. It was given so that man could commune with God and God could commune with man. And Brother Goff, I got to thinking about this. Ever since the day in the Garden of Eden, there were days when Adam and God would walk in the cool of the day and spent time together and my mind kind of got to wondering about those times. And then when sin entered the picture and how that it broke that and God came down for another time to spend with Adam and, and talk with Adam and he looked around and Adam was gone. I often think about what must it have been like, Brother Goff, for Adam and God to walk. This is just me. This is my conjecture. This is my goofiness in my mind, I guess, if you will. I kind of wonder if God didn't walk along and just watch Adam's reaction at his creation. As Adam would see things and his eyes would light up, what that must have done to the heart of God. To walk along and see the beautiful flowers and the trees and all of the beauty of the Garden of Eden, Brother Goff, it must have been a great time. But sin, sin had to come into the picture. And it ruined that communion. And God showed up one day and he looked around for his friend and he wasn't there. We know God knew where he was at. But God still had a plan. He had a plan before he even made the Garden of Eden. And as he entered there, and you know the story of how that, that man was cursed and it goes on and on and on. 
But what I want to focus on here tonight is the tabernacle in the wilderness and how that it is a pattern of our present day salvation. Thayer's definition of the pattern is, in the technical sense, the pattern in conformity to which things must be made. Also, it means an example to be imitated. Sticking to the pattern is vitally, everyone say vitally, vitally important. Talking about patterns, <clears throat> I remember when I first was learning how to frame houses and my boss put me on the cut table to cut rafters and as he was bringing me over to the cut table there was a rafter laying on the cut table already cut and on the rafter it had pack written in pencil on it. Well, I didn't know what pack meant. So I'm, you know, I'm thinking, okay, all right, I'll, I'll cut rafters. And so I'm starting to cut rafters, and I took the one named Pat, and I was getting ready to hand it up to the framer up there, and I heard my boss go, whoa, 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 don't do that. I said, what? Well, what's the deal? He says, don't hand him the pattern. Keep the pattern. Don't cut another one off of the one you cut from the pattern. I was like, what difference does that make? It's just like the pattern. No, it wasn't like the pattern. Because, see, if I would have kept that one I cut from the pattern, it would be an eighth of an inch longer than the pattern. And so on and so on and so on. And I was cutting over 50 rafters that day. And my expertise, math calculations are correct. If I would have continued to do that, the 50th rafter would be six and a quarter inches too long. Didn't make a difference. Didn't think it'd make a difference, but you got to stick to the pattern. My wife used to work for H.G. Lee. It's a jean, jean company. You, probably some of you, some of you guys have owned Lee Jeans in your time. There in Seymour, Missouri, they used to have a plant there, and she worked there for a while sewing jeans. And the thing that she learned working there was the top cut jeans were always true to fit. And the farther that the knife went down through the pile of material, the less right the dimensions were for the jeans to the point to where the bottom cut was classified as second because they weren't true to fit. Talking about the importance of the pattern. But just as important as the pat rafter and the top cut of the gene materials were, the important pattern God gave Moses in the construction of the tabernacle in the wilderness is vitally important for present day salvation. Jesus said in John chapter 5 verse 39, he said, search, search, search the scriptures. You search the scriptures. For in them you think you have eternal life, and they are they which testify of me. Search the scriptures. Get in that book. Find the pattern and conform to it. And we must first understand something about our God, and that is, first of all, he does not change. Malachi 3 and 6 says, for I am the Lord, I change not. Hebrews 13 and 8 says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. My question to you, friends, is 
if he spent so much meticulous effort giving the pattern to Moses for the tabernacle, why would all of a sudden in our present day salvation, would he all of a sudden just say, none of that makes any difference. Just believe what you want to believe and you'll be saved. Hopefully tonight I can convey to you the importance of making sure your salvation falls in line with the pattern of the tabernacle plan. I'm telling you, it's vitally important. It's not Brother Nelson trying to run your life. It's not Bishop. It's not Brother Goff. It's not Brother Hilton. But it's the Word of God. Search the Scriptures. Search the Scriptures. For in them you have eternal life. Say, Brother Nelson, why are you getting all worked up about all that? Well, you got to understand, I didn't always search the Scriptures, Brother Goff. In this particular subject, the tabernacle is very, very, very special to me. Because it was through this Bible study on the tabernacle plan that I received the revelation of true salvation. I remember leaving the Bible study and, and the teacher said, next week we're going to start on the tabernacle plan. And I said, tabernacle plan? I never even heard of a tabernacle plan. And all of a sudden my mind goes, uh-huh, it's that cult. I never heard of it. The whole time I've been living, I've been Lutheran, growing up Lutheran. I never heard of a tabernacle plan. So next week I'm fixing to find out how this, this cult really is. <laughs> Woo. Did I ever get an eye awakening? Thank God. Thank God. Second attribute about God is He does not lie. Hebrews 6, 18 and 19 says that by two immutable things in which it was impossible for God to lie, we might have a strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold upon the hope set before us. Which hope we have is an anchor, an anchor, an anchor, an anchor for the soul. Both sure and steadfast which entereth into that within the veil. God has given us his word that we might be saved. 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 through 17 says, But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able, they're able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scriptures given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. My goodness, I want to be corrected. If I'm wrong, I want to be corrected. Just as I sat down in that Bible study, and he was beginning to give me the tabernacle plan, there was correction taking place in my thinking. I didn't know about it. But this word of God is profitable for correction, for reproof. For instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. My friend, one of the reasons God was so adamant that Moses construct the tabernacle exactly, exactly like the pattern he gave him was because it gives us the pattern or instruction on present day salvation. First of all, you've got to understand there's only one tabernacle. There wasn't several tabernacles built. Wasn't attend the tabernacle of your choice. There was one tabernacle, and that's the one you had to go and be present yourself to. 
us an example of Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6. There's one body and one spirit, even as you're called in the hope of your calling. One Lord. One faith. One baptism. One God, Father of all, who's above all, through all, and in you all. Hey, let's give him a hand clap on that. <laughs> Talking about the pattern tonight. Does your thinking, does, does, your, does your thinking, your salvation perception come in line with the tabernacle? You see, the tabernacle had a fence constructed of white linen, seven feet tall. It was 75 feet wide by 150 feet long, supported by posts set in bronze bases with silver hooks. And, and we won't get in all of that. But I'm here to tell you that fence, that fence had a purpose. That fence represented God's perfect righteousness which prohibits the sinner from approaching God on his own goodness and morality and righteousness. Or we can just say this, or approaching God just any old way. You couldn't just walk in there haphazardly. Oh, here we go. Oh, wow, this is nice. What is all this? No, there was a fence. And you couldn't see. It was seven feet tall. And the only thing you could really make out over that fence was just barely the top of the holy place, which was covered in badger skins. And to look on the exterior of it, it was drab and, and dull and boring. Hallelujah, hallelujah. I'm going on a little rabbit trail here a minute. Bear with me a second. But I got to thinking about that and how that when a sinner looks on the outside, the things of God look drab and dull and, and they look like restrictive and... A, Oh, what's this fence for? You can't let you, I can't get in? What's the problem here? Seven feet tall, all I can see is that ugly building on the inside. But, oh, friend, oh, friend, if you find the gate and you walk on in that gate and you enter in, eventually you'll end up inside that dull, drab thing you saw on the outside. And, oh, what beauty will you see on the inside? That's the same way it is in living for God. On the outside, you think to yourself, oh, I can't, I can't live that way. I can't, I can't conform. I, I understand. I used to say the same thing. I sure did. Hallelujah. But there came a day when I was able to walk in and see his beauty and his grandeur and said, what, can I what else can I give up that I can draw closer to this God? Oh, yes. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. This fence had only one entrance. No way of other way in but by this gate. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14 says, Enter ye in, enter ye in at the straight gate, singular. And wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction. Oh, many be there that go in thereat. Because straight is the gate, and narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. There's not... 87 gates, there's one. And we've got to find that gate. You can walk around that, you can walk around that fence. You can walk 150 feet, 75 feet, another 150 feet, never see an entrance in. But friend, you make that next turn and you head down 75 feet, and all of a sudden there's that gate. The one gate. Hallelujah, hallelujah. 
John chapter one or chapter ten, verse one says, Verily, verily I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up another way, the same as a thief and a robber. Hallelujah. Jesus goes on to say in this chapter, John chapter 10, verses 7 through 10, Then said Jesus unto them again, Verily, verily, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. All that ever came after me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. 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 By me, if any man enter in, he shall, he shall be saved, and shall go in and go out and find pasture. But, but the thief, Cometh not but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. He said, I am come that I might, that ye might have life, and that ye might have it more abundantly. He is the door. He's the door. He's instructing us how to be saved. Hallelujah. And he said, the thief cometh not. That thief he's referring to is the same thief that we had in the previous verse in in. Uh, verse 1 and the thief is our adversary and he would try to convince you and try to steal your potential at salvation by telling you oh you don't have to believe that it don't take all that all you got to do is just believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved you read it for yourself all you got to do is to say the sinner's prayer oh hallelujah you're saved brother the thief, the thief, all he wants to do is he wants to kill you and he wants to destroy you. But our God has come that you might have life and life more abundantly. Hallelujah. There's only one. The only way to salvation is through Jesus Christ. Acts 4 and 12 says, neither is there salvation in any other. For there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. We've got to stick to the pattern. Hey, 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 but just finding the gate isn't enough. Yeah, yeah, I know Jesus. Yeah, I believe. I believe. No, you've got to enter in. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Many people will just stay right there. Hey, I found the gate. I know Jesus. That's good enough for me. No, friend, you're just starting. That's your entrance. Now you've got to enter in. There's some things you've got to do. And when you entered in, the first thing that you would, uh, or it says, excuse me. And it was here at the altar. See, you guys get me all confused. But once one passed through the gate, the first thing that they would see is the brazen altar. And it was here at the altar that the blood of the sacrifice was shed, and without the shedding of blood, there's no remission. Hebrews chapter 9, verses 18 through 22 says, Whereupon neither the first testament was dedicated without blood, for when Moses had spoken every precept to all the people according to the law, he took the blood of calves and of goats with water and scarlet wool, hyssop, and sprinkling both the book and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the testament which God hath enjoined unto you. Moreover, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the vessels of the ministry, and almost all things are by the law purged with blood, and without, without, without the shedding of blood is no remission. This place was a place of death. And it's likewise with us and the pattern that we show when we come and repent. The old man, we're dying out to our old fleshly man. We should. Romans chapter 6, verses 6 through 7 says, Knowing this, that the old man, the old man, the old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might, not, might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. 
For he that is dead is free from sin. You see, friend, the work performed here at this altar had a bearing on everything else after this. If that wasn't done correctly, you might as well not even move forward. It's the same way with repentance. You've got to come down to that altar. You've got, you've got, you've got to die out. You've got to repent of your sins and say, God, I, I'm sorry, I'm not doing this no more. But not only that, don't keep it in the back of your mind going, well, maybe I might figure a way out to just go ahead and continue doing what I'm doing. No, friend, the old man's got to die right there. Just as he just said it happened there at the altar. That animal didn't say, oh, well, I'm still alive. No. The animal was dead. The next thing you would see is the brazen laver. Exodus chapter 30, verses 18 through 21. Thou shalt also make a laver of brass, and his foot also of brass, to wash withal, and thou shalt put in between the tabernacle of the congregation and the altar. And thou shalt put water therein. Did you, did you hear where that was placed? Uh-huh. Hallelujah. For Aaron and his son shall wash their hands and their feet thereat. When they go into the tabernacle of the congregation, that they shall wash with water, that they die not. Or when they come near to the altar to minister, to burn offering made by fire unto the Lord, so they shall wash their hands and their feet that they die not, and it shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his seed throughout their generation. This reflects the cleansing that we get through water baptism. Acts twenty two sixteen it says, And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized. Be baptized and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. When we are baptized, we show the Lord's death and are buried with him, as explained in Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 4. Knowing not... That so many of us were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized unto his death. Therefore we are buried, buried, buried with him in baptism unto death, that like Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. Hallelujah. So far, friends, I don't believe I've shown you an example of just accepting the Lord as your Savior in this whole thing here tonight. I don't even believe that I've even said the sinner's prayer yet, have I? No, I don't believe I have. So let's go on. Remember, remember, stick to the pattern. Next would enter into the tent. In this place where the golden candlestick, golden table of shoe bread, and the golden altar of incense were. Let's start with the golden candlestick. It was the only, the only, everyone say only, only source of light here in the holy place. This represents Jesus Christ being that only true light. And we read this in John chapter 1, verses 4 through 9. In him was life, and life was the light of men. And the light shineth in darkness. Oh, thank you, Jesus. And the darkness comprehended it not. For there was a man sent from God whose name was John. The same came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all men, say all men, (laughs) him might believe. He was not the light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lighteth every man that cometh into the world. Talking about the candlestick was the only light. Talking about a pattern. Hallelujah, hallelujah. It was made of one piece of gold beaten into shape. I wanted to bring this out here tonight for those of you that may get sick or you may go through hardship or you may be oppressed. Here you go, Isaiah chapter 53, verses 3 through 5 says this. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. 
and we hid as it were our faces from him. He was despised and esteemed him, and we esteemed him not. Surely, surely, everybody say surely. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Mm. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he, but he, everyone say, but he, he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. And with his stripes we are healed. I'm talking about a pattern here tonight. This is the word of God. This is truth. Hallelujah. 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 Psalms 119.103 says, How sweet are the words unto my taste. Yea, sweeter than honey to my mouth. Through thy precepts I get understanding. Though I hate every false way, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Hallelujah. Let's lift our hands to the Lord right here. God, we thank you for that light. Thank you for that light, God. Thank you, Lord, for the pattern. That's it. That's it. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. Next, let's talk about the table of shoe bread, and you can read the details of its construction in Exodus 25, verses 23 through 30. But it was constructed of shittim wood overlaid with gold, and the wood referring to Jesus Christ's humanity, and the gold referring to his deity. And upon this was 12 loaves of shoe bread were laid on the table. And this is a pattern reveals as Jesus is our bread of life. And in John chapter 6, verses 47 through 51, it says, Verily, verily, Jesus speaking here, I say unto you, He that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, hey, he shall live forever. And the bread that I give is my flesh, which I shall give for, this, for the life of this world. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Next you go in, you find the golden altar of incense. And you can read about that in Exodus chapter 30, verses 1 through 10. And it, it was also constructed of shittim wood and gold as the table of shoe bread. And the smoke and the incense is representative of the prayers of the saints as described in Revelation chapter 8, verses 3 through 4. And another angel came and stood at the altar having a golden censer. There was given unto him much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the altar. This was before his throne. And the smoke and the incense which came with the prayers of the saints ascended up before God out of the angel's hand. Revelations 5 and 8 says, And when he had taken the book, the four beasts and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials of odor, which are the prayers of the saints. Can I stop here for a minute and encourage you in your prayer time? It's not a waste of time. But there in heaven, there's a golden vial. I read it for you. And the, your prayers are entering in to that golden vial. They're important. They're important. And there's coming a day when this is all said and done, when all of those prayers are going to be poured out. There'll be no more prayer. No more sorrow. 
no more grief. But friend, next time, next time you stop and spend some time with God in prayer, encourage yourself and say, my prayers are not in vain. Hallelujah. Next before us is the veil that separated the holy place from the holy of holies where the Ark of the Covenant resided. And you can read about its construction also in Exodus chapter 26, verses 31 through 33. Interesting fact about this veil is it said that you could take a team of oxen and have them pulling in opposite directions hooked to this veil and they could not, they could not rip it apart. That's how well constructed this veil was. And this veil, this veil points to the humanity of Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 19 and 20 says, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new living way, which he hath consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, his flesh. You see, the high priest was the only one allowed to enter the Holy of Holies on the Day of Atonement, and not without the blood from the altar of sacrifice. This unrent veil was a barrier. It was a barrier shutting men out from the presence of God. But when his veil of flesh was rent on the cross, the veil in the temple was rent from top to bottom. It became open to all to whosoever will. Matthew chapter 27, verses 50 and 51 says, Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from top to bottom. And the earth did quake and the rocks did rent. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Titus 2 and 11 says, for the grace of God bringeth salvation unto all men. It's available to whosoever will. Whoever wants to come through the pattern. Whoever wants to enter in through the gate and go and perform the service at the altar. And perform the service at the laver and enter into the holy of place, it's available to you as well. Hallelujah, hallelujah. And inside the holy of holies resided the Ark of the Covenant. This was the dwelling place of God, and its construction is explained in Exodus 25, verses 10 through 11. And again, it's constructed of shittim wood overlaid with gold, and the lid was made of pure gold and had the mercy seat overshadowed by two cherubims. The high priest would enter the... the with the blood from the sacrifice and sprinkled it seven times upon the mercy seat. The mercy seat stained with blood of an innocent sacrifice represents the redemptive work of Jesus Christ. Amber alert. Breaker 1-9, got a copy. Talking about the Ark of the Covenant. This is where the presence of God resided. Inside the Ark was the pot of manna, the tablets with the Ten Commandments, and Aaron's rod that budded. But over that was the mercy seat, which covered those things. Representative of the grace of God, for us today, his mercy seat covers, his mercy covers, but you've got to come the right way. You can't just come any old way. You can't just meander your way around. You can't just, well, I think or I feel. No, friend, you've got to come according to the pattern. If you're going to be accepted because if the high priest did not do what he was supposed to do and made a mistake when he entered into there 
It didn't matter if he sprinkled the blood seven times like he was supposed to. If he did not do it right or that sacrifice was not acceptable, he was a dead man. He would enter into that holy of holies with a rope tied around his ankle just in case. Man, talk about pressure. I think sometimes I think pressure being up here, I'd hate to be that. Woo. I'd be going, man, I, I think I've done everything right, but what about everybody else? <laughs> Hope they've done everything right. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Titus 3, verses 5 and 6. It says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy. Hey, hey, hey. According to his mercy, he saved us. By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. Hallelujah. Let's lift our hands to him right here. God, we love you. Thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's it. God, thank you for your mercy. Thank you, God, for the mercy seat. Thank you, God. Oh, for the blood that you applied on that mercy seat. God, thank you for renting the veil. God, that I might have opportunity at this truth. God, thank you. Oh, God, I love you, Lord. I love you. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah. If the sacrifice was accepted, God's glory would fill the room. His Shekinah glory would come down in that room. And this is representative of the Holy Ghost. Hebrews chapter 8 verses 1 through 7. Now the things which we have spoken, this is the sum. We have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of throne of majesty in the heavens. A minister of the sanctuary and of the true, of the true tabernacle which the Lord pitched and not man. For every high priest is ordained to offer gifts and sacrifices, wherefore it is of necessity that this man have somewhat also to offer. For if we were on earth, he should not be a priest, seeing that we are priests that offer gifts according to the law. We serve unto the example. We serve unto the example. We serve unto the example in the shadow of heavenly things. As Moses was admonished of God when he was about to make the tabernacle, for see, saith he, that thou make the things according to the pattern showed thee in the mount. Sound familiar? That was our opening scripture. Verse 6, but now, but now hath he ordained a more excellent ministry, by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant which had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days cometh, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant, with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Verse 9, not according to the covenant that I have made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand and led them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant and I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I, I will put my laws in their mind and write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be my people. Hallelujah. Let's all stand here tonight and lift our hands. You can come to the music. God, I love you. I thank you for this truth, Lord. Oh, God, you're able. God, thank you for truth. Thank you for the pattern, God. 
Oh, there ain't nobody like you, God. There ain't nobody like you. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you for the example, God, that I can walk confidently, confidently in knowing, God, that I'm obeying your word. Thank you, Jesus. That's it, church. Oh, God. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Oh, and a friend, friend, if you're listening online or if someone's out in the foyer needing to hear this, hey, I'm talking to you. How does one obey this salvation pattern? Well, book of Acts, you hear it here all the time. You're going to keep hearing it. Chapter 2. Verses 38 through 41. It says, Then Peter said unto them, Repent. There's the death. And be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. There's the washing. For the remission, for the remission of your sins. And you shall, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. That's God's presence coming down. Hey, hey, hey. For the promise. Whew. For the promise is unto you. And to all your children, and to all that are far off, even as many as our Lord God shall call. And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation. Save yourself, friend. Save yourself. Get in this word. Search the scriptures. It'll lead you to salvation. I've showed you here tonight what it takes according to the pattern. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Normally I would stop there at verse 40, but I was reading, read verse 41, and it says this, and then they were gladly, and then they that gladly received his word were baptized. And the same day they were added unto them about three Scripture lets us to know, gives us historical knowledge. Souls were added that day by men that what he instructed, right? Yes. Friend, if you're wondering, if you're listening online, you're going, man, I don't know how to be saved. I just read it to you. These people were added. These souls were added. Friend, hallelujah. If you're needing a renewing, if you need a refreshing in the Holy Ghost, you want to come up here to the front, lift your hands, come on up. This altar's open right now if you want to pray where you're at. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Let's just reach out to him right now. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your truth. Thank you for the pattern, God. Hallelujah, hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus.